Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't anyone want to be here this morning? I mean, it's just great to be here. Good to see Larry Lance over here to my left. Give Larry a big hand. Larry's been in a challenge, but so good to have him here. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us. Lord, we're here to hear of your word and feel your Holy Spirit working in our lives. Our ears are open, our hearts receptive in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. How many of you have ever been to a family reunion lately? Or a high school reunion or a college reunion? I've been to a few of those myself uh, a few years ago. I went to one and I noticed how people had changed. And uh, there was a young lady there, a girl that I knew in high school that I barely recognized. She had changed a lot. And uh, the last time I remember seeing her, she was rather skinny and plain looking and, and nothing noticeable, but she had changed. And she came up to me, and this was her line. She said, I've changed a little bit since I was in school, haven't I? And you could tell she liked telling me that. And uh, she had changed. She had changed a lot. And then someone told me that she had married a doctor. And then when I walked away, I thought, must have been a plastic surgeon. I'm not for sure. But she had changed. And it was for the better. But all of us are under construction, aren't we? God's still working on you, and he's still working on me. I, uh, I went to find out some of the slogans for some of the, the large uh, construction and supply companies. Home Depot, they have some sayings that promote their business. One of them is, you can do it, we can help. Uh, more saving, more doing. How doers get more done. And then Lowe's is right along with them. Let's build something together. Then 2006, it became never stop improving. And then this last year, their slogan was do it for less, do it right for less. Now, my personal favorite is never stop improving. How many of you know we should never, ever stop improving? And 2020, a new year, kind of gives you that feeling that you can do something more or you can do something better. And we make uh, life choices, we make resolutions, and, and we're thinking about change. Do you know what the top 10 New Year's resolutions are? Um, Just in case you don't know, I want to share those with you. Number one, how many of you can think about the number one? That's number two. Number one is exercise more. Number two is lose weight. Number three, get organized. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Number five, live life to the fullest. Number six, save more money, spend less money. Number seven, quit smoking. Number eight, spend more time with family and friends. Number nine, travel more. Number 10, read more. And those are all good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those. Um, Here's some alternative resolutions that someone gave. My New Year's resolution is to help all my friends gain 10 pounds so I look skinnier. (laughs) I was going to quit all my bad habits for the New Year, but then I remembered nobody likes a quitter. And then this is one of my favorites. My resolution is to read more, so I put subtitles on the bottom of my television. (laughs) 
But do you know that 90% of most people who make New Year's resolution either breaks them or abandons them by January the 15th? By the middle of the month, most people are done with all of those resolutions. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't make them or we shouldn't try to do better. But it is really uh, obvious that a new year feels like a new start, doesn't it? We're kind of, you know, rebooting, we're re-engaging, we're having the opportunity to change. I want to give you a scripture. This is out of Micah, Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 6. It's a very interesting verse because God is speaking. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change or I change not. Say that with me. I change not. Now, what is really interesting about this is the God who says he doesn't change institutes and initiates the greatest changes of the whole universe. The God who says I do not change does the most changing in the universe by the one who does not change. Now, to me, I just find that strange in some odd way. Because this is what we know. The seasons change. The weather changes. If you live in Oklahoma, you've heard this. If you don't like the weather, just hang on because it's going to change. How many of you know we've had all four seasons in one day? I felt that. The calendar changes. We go from month to month. We go from year to year. The moon changes from phase to phase. Tides change. They come in. They go out. The sun changes its position in the sky. Uh, leaves changes on the tree. They change. Uh, crops change. Technology changes things. Your body changes. Have you noticed your body is changing? Very so slightly, every morning you look in the mirror and then you look at a picture of you 25 years ago and you say, hey, I have changed. Well, yeah, you have. But the God who never changes initiates the greatest changes and he initiates those changes in me and you. And we have to be open to that because we we do need to change and I cannot be the change unless I am changed. Because we do need to be the change in our world. Our world needs some changes. How many of you would agree with me? There's some things in your world that you would change if you could. There's some things in our society, in America, I would love to see changed. But I can't really see the change unless I become the change. And I can't become the change unless I'm changed. So are there some keys for us to look at that we can change and become the change? And I think there are. Let me give you five today. If you have a pencil and paper, I want you to maybe jot these down. Here's number one. We have to set realistic and clear goals for ourselves. You know, there's no use to setting goals that are so far out there you'll never obtain them. So there need to be realistic and clear goals. Matter of fact, Habakkuk 2 and 2, most of you know the, the, the passage. Write the vision... Make it plain, make it clear, so the one who reads it can run with it. So make the vision clear, make make the dream clear. Let's have some clarity about where we're going and what we're doing. Then also where there is no vision, the people perish. So what's my target? What, What am I aiming to? Do I have some clarity about it? Do I have some goals about it? Am I headed somewhere? I I remember seeing a little story about a a man who was traveling through the country and he saw this very large barn. What was peculiar about it, there were targets painted all over the sides of this barn with an arrow exactly in the bullseye of everyone. So he he was so, uh, I guess, caught up by it, he even pulled in. The guy who was there, he said, hey, you have a very unusual barn. There are targets with uh, an arrow in the center of the bullseye everywhere. And he said, that's true. He said, I guess you're an expert marksman. He said, no, I just shoot the arrow, then I draw the bullseye around it. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, sometimes that's the way we live. We just kind of figure out where we're going to try to go, and then we head there. But there has to be clarity in goals, and there has to be clarity of vision. You know, if you ask me, what do you see about Ray of Hope? What, what do you see about us collectively or corporately? Well, I see a lot of things, and I hope you do too. I see families coming together. I see people coming to experience the love of Jesus Christ changed by the power of Almighty God. Marriages, you know, getting right, husbands and wives getting things right and having a place that's safe for their children. I see young and old coming together because how many of you know we need both? We need all generations coming together. We're learning from one another. We're leaving a legacy behind us. We're coming together that we can learn and feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving through our lives. The Word of God being preached and taught, declared with boldness and clarity and truth. We need that. We can see children and young people being groomed for success for today, but for eternity also. This is what I think that you need to know. If you come here, and if you come here on a regular basis, your life will be changed. Not because we're just the change agent. We can be part of the change, but let me tell you, the power of God, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, as the Word is preached and taught, and we get in the right environment, it makes no difference who you are. If you're a, if you're a father, you can become a better father. If you're a wife, you can become a better wife. If you're a husband, a better husband. If you're growing up as a young person, you can get values that will propel you for years to come. If you're an entrepreneur, you can be in an environment that what you learn and what you hear will help your business, will help your practice, will help your endeavors, your job, whatever you're doing. Because this is not just church on Sunday. This is about everyday life. This is what we're doing every day. And we're coming and we're seeing that. I'm looking for a church that is not only impacting the single person, but the church that is so influential through what God's done in the individual. It's impacting the schools. It's impacting the businesses. It's impacting the, the neighborhoods and the community. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? But you see, all of those are made up of individuals. And as we have that change in the individual, it changes the school, it changes the class, it changes the workplace, it changes the neighborhood, it changes the community. Because there's people out there that need to walk through these doors that are struggling with addiction, drugs, alcoholism, depression, despondency, family matters, family trouble, uh, children trouble. But when they come in here, they can find hope. And that hope is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great hope. He is our hope that we're looking for, but he's also the hope that we have today. Can I hear an amen? amen. So that is something that is a key for us for change. Clarity, goals, visions, realistic that we can see. Here's just the second key. The second key is start with the steps that are doable. Say that with me. Start with the steps that are doable. Sometimes if it's so big and so daunting, we don't even begin. Or we begin and we quit because we say, I can never do that. If you say, well, I want to lose 100 pounds by February. Honey, listen. <laughs> that may be not where you want to start. Maybe you just want to say, I'm not going to drink sugar in my tea now. Or maybe it's going to be, I'm going to change a little bitty step and another step and another step. Can I make a confession to you? Carrie doesn't know this because she was asleep. But last night, uh, I'm preparing for today, and a lot of times on uh, 
Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. I, I stay up very late. And so about 12.30 last night, uh, I was a little hungry, and I go to the kitchen, and uh, I, I peel a banana, and I get the package of chips down out of the cabinet. Y'all are so holy. <laughs> and there's some leftover Christmas fudge. So I'm standing there, and I'm eating banana and chips and Christmas fudge, and I'm thinking, this is not good. I need a change. But we all have a tendency to do that. Can I hear it? Amen. <laughs> so if we break it down into smaller steps, like leave the fudge alone, pastor. You know, just have the banana, leave the chips and the other stuff, you know, in the cabinet. So we can do that. Let me give you some wise words from a very wise man. This is Proverbs chapter 16. Verse 3 says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Verse 9 gives us a little bit more insight to this uh, concept. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord established his steps. Say that with me. The Lord established his steps. You see, it's not the leaps or the bounds. It's the what? Steps. You, you see, I can't jump to my house, but I can start walking there, and after a period of time, I can get there. You, you see, I can't jump to, to Duncan. But if I just start walking step by step, I can arrive. So we have to say, th this is a step by step deal. This is not just, I'm going to make a big leap. I'm, I'm going to make a big move. And you might, if you do, God bless you. But usually, you know what it is? It's just step by step by step by step. It's being consistent. It's, it's being clear in your goal, where you're headed. This is where I want to arrive. The Bible says the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. Not, not the leaps or bounds, but what? The steps. If I can just make some steps, if I can just make a few steps, I can begin to get there. So the key word is steps. So just do what you can do and do the doable things. The other day we were discussing an old story that you've heard, the little boy who's walking along the beach after a very violent hurricane, and uh, that hurricane had washed, you know, thousands and thousands of starfish up on the beach, and and, of course, the story goes, he's walking along the beach picking up the starfish, and he's throwing them one by one back into the ocean. And uh, there was a man who was walking the beach the same time he was, and he says, hey, boy, he said, uh, you're not going to make much of a difference here. Uh, you know, I've, I've been walking down the other side of this beach, and there, there, there's hundreds of thousands of starfish just strung everywhere because of this hurricane. The little boy said, I made a difference to this one, I made a difference to this one, I made a difference to this one. But, but here's the key. The little boy turned to him and said, if you'll help me, he said, we can make a difference together. Amen. If you'll help me, throw them back. So if we partner together. If, if we come together, then we can make a difference not only in our lives, in our families' lives, but we can make a difference in our schools, we can make a difference in our community, and, and we can have a better place to live because we decided we're going to be part of the change. But you can't be part of the change unless you change personally yourself. So I have to have that change, and if we change together, we're more powerful, right? Here's number three. Make a commitment to say no to an average life. Make a commitment to say no to an average life. You know what average is? I've said it for years. Average is the best of the worst, worst of the best. That's what average is. So we don't want to live average. Let me tell you, when Jesus Christ came into your life, he does not want you to be average. The God of heaven and earth, the all-powerful God that lives in your life does not want you to be an average person. How many of you believe that? You remember Lowe's 
Slogan, never stop improving. We can always be going forward and improving. And this is what I know. Self-improvement always requires self-discipline. Nothing you do that will improve you will be without self-discipline. It takes discipline not to eat the banana and the chips and the fudge at 1230 at night. Someone say amen. Amen. It's really true. So I have to make those steps and I have to say I'm not going to be an average person. Now this is what I know about your new year. There's probably some things that you need to start doing and there's some things you need to stop doing. Would you agree with me? So if you're making a resolution, say, well, I'm going to start doing this, I'm going to start doing this. Let me tell you, it's almost equally as important to stop doing some things as it is to start doing some things. And and there's some things that we really need to work on. You see, we're all fallen. How many of you would agree with me? We have a fallen human nature. Now, when Christ comes into our life, we're redeemed, we're we're transformed, he makes that change in us. But your humanity and your carnality still is pulled to that fallen nature. Now, that's why you say, well, no, I'm I'm super spiritual, Pastor. I never get that. And then I see you uh, on the uh, bypass, and you want to bless somebody with a brick. So that can got to creep out of you, right? And it can me. Or someone, you know, offends you or upsets you, and all of a sudden you feel something rising up within you, and you just want to give them a piece of your mind. And and you know what that is? That's a human nature we're all struggling with. So there's some things we're dealing with. Here's some that that we could be dealing with. Could it be we need to stop competing with people and start cooperating with people? Because there is this humanity that we're, we're in competition with one another, and especially in social media. Now, I don't have a Facebook page. Carrie has one. I get on there every once in a while. And this is what I found out. If you stay on there long enough, you'll be competing with someone. Uh, Their kids look better than you, their grandkids look better than you, their car, their house, whatever. And it may not be true, but that's the way you feel. I'm in competition with these people. Well, maybe we need to quit competing, start cooperating, and just change the whole scenario. Because average people compete, but extraordinary people, they cooperate. You see, most of competition comes out of really two things. Number one is it comes out of our own life, and it's really deep sometimes. It's our own insecurities. So I feel insecure, so I've got to do something to make myself feel more, more secure because I'm dealing with my insecurity. The other one may be pride. It could be insecurity. It could be pride. I'm doing this because I have this prideful thing in my life. So when we compete with people, you know what we do? We drive them away. But when we cooperate with them, you know what? We embrace them in. So we could be driving people away in our life that we need. When we cooperate, we could be embracing them in. Um, you've heard this, and, and, and I believe it's true. I don't know it you know, personally, but they say if you go out to the beach and you're hunting crabs, you never have to have a lid for the bucket. Because once you get two crabs in the bucket... Uh, three crabs, four crabs in the bucket. When one tries to crawl out, the other one reaches up and grabs it, pulls it back down. How many of you know some crabby people? <laughs> that, that if you ever start getting ahead or, or you, you don't have something, somebody's always trying what, to pull you down. Well, number one, because you're trying to, I guess, make them feel bad. No, it's just because they feel bad, right? So we have to realize that there are people that actually do that. You know, a woman uh, had a neighbor, and in the spring and the summer, she would hang her laundry out on an old-fashioned line. 
And the, the neighbor would look across at her laundry and tell her husband, said, this, this lady didn't know how to do laundry. Look, look at her laundry. It looks awful. I don't even know if she uses detergent. And if she does, somebody needs to tell her the right kind of detergent to, to buy because her whites aren't white, her, her colors are dull, and, and she, she just complained about it every time she hung out laundry. And then one morning, she looked out, and it was completely different. Her whites were white, her colors were vivid, and she said, somebody must have talked to that poor woman how to do laundry. And the husband said, no, honey, I cleaned the windows this morning. <laughs> See, sometimes it's not their fault, it's your perspective. Let me say that again. It's not their fault, it's your perspective. It's how you see, it's through the lens of what you're seeing. We said this for years, how can 24 people see the same thing but there's two reports or 24 eyeballs? The 12 spies go out and they all see the same thing. One report is we're well able to do this, the other says there's no way we can do this. It's your perspective. So we have to look at perspective. And if we, if we don't, then we're really going to be in trouble. So we quit competing. We stop cooperating. We quit complaining and start complimenting. Now, this is what I know, and I know this very personally. Complaining about your problem, your issue, your challenge, your husband, your wife, never changed anything. It never changed anyone. Complaining changes nothing. So instead of complaining, maybe we need to start complimenting. And that is the change we need. So complaining is just not a good thing. Here's another one. Sometimes we remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. Do you know that when you came to the Lord and you really sincerely repented of your sins and asked him to come into your heart, he forgave you. All those things you'd done, all the iniquity, all the sin, all the bad things, this is the word picture he gives us in Scripture. He puts them in the sea of forgetfulness to remember them against us. What? No more. So all that stuff he puts out of our life, he puts out of his memory, and the Bible says according to the Scripture, he remembers them against us. How long? No more. Why are you remembering what God's already forgot? Well, pastor, I've failed. I've done this. I, well, listen, we've all failed. We've all done stuff. But God said he would forgive us and forget that. Why are we remembering what God forgot? So we need to look at that and put energy in the positive and quit putting energy in the negative. Unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, resentment. The pain of what happened to us in our past, what happened to us yesterday. Did it hurt? Yes. Do people hurt you? Yes. Do you struggle with unforgiveness? Sometimes I do. What about anger, resentment? Yes. But let me tell you, that will get you nowhere. It will never fix anything. So you and I have to say, I've got to move on from that, and I've got to begin to change that. Put your energy in things that will move you forward. Can I hear an amen? Here's the fourth thing. Please do not try to do this on your own. You need God's help. Would you agree with that? You need God's help. In Luke 15, there are three basic stories there that we begin the chapter with. There is a shepherd who loses one of his sheep. He leaves the 99. What does he do? He goes after the one. There's a woman who has 10 coins. She has 10 coins. She loses one. She sweeps the house, turns it upside down. She finds the, the coin. Both these stories, this is what happens. 
they invite their family and friends and say, rejoice with me because I found that which was lost. But then there's the third. And this is not about a sheep or a coin, but it's about a son. And we call him what? The prodigal son. And he goes to his dad and he says, dad, I'm tired of living under your roof. I don't like your rules. Uh, I want my inheritance early. And the dad gives it to him. So he goes to a far country. Uh, he squanders the money. I mean, he's every day it's partay. I mean, he, he's living high and, and large and it's wine and women and song. And he spent all of his money and now he's destitute. This is what I found out. When the money runs out, the friends usually run out too. And now he's by himself. And he finds a job, and the job is slopping the hogs. I don't know if you've ever slopped the hogs. I have. But this guy is slopping the hogs, and he's so destitute. He's so hungry. He is thinking about eating the very slop, the pods, if you will, the, the, the food that he's feeding the swine. He's thinking about eating it. Now, I've slopped the hogs, but I never thought about eating what I was pouring in that trough. But this is where he's at. He's thinking about eating it. Then he has this epiphany in his mind, in his heart, in his spirit. He said, why am I living this way? Even my, my dad's hired hands live better than I live. And I'm his son. He said, I'll go back to my dad and I'll say, dad, if you'll receive me back, I, I don't even want to be your son anymore. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. If you'll just hire me back, I'll be happy to come back because it's better than I'm living now. But do you know when that son came home, that father was looking down that road for him, and he ran to meet him. And when that son arrived, how many of you know he stunk? He reeked. Have you ever been to the fat stock show at the fairgrounds when all the animals are in there? Come on now. I have. I mean, my kids showed, uh, you know, pigs and all that. You don't have to even touch one. Just walk through the building and we'll all know where you've been. You stink. Let, let me make this more spiritual. You stinketh. I mean, it's bad. We'll know where you've been. I mean, it's, it's horrible. This guy comes up, he's stinking. His clothes are horrible. His hunger, hunger is, is biting on his inside. He, his belly is empty. He's barefooted. But it's the only way he could come. Please note, everything that happened to him from this second forward, his father was able to do for him because he could not do it himself. Amen. The father embraces him and says, get the best robe and put it on his back. Put the ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. Let's fill his belly. He could do none of that for himself. But the father could do everything for him in that case. Listen, you cannot do this on your own. I cannot do this on my own. That father was able to help him do all those things that he could not do for himself. Listen to me. There are things that you can't do. There's things I can't do. Let's make a good stab at it. Let's make a good try, uh, try at it. Let, let, let's make a good effort at it. But in the end, let's say, I'm going to do what I can do. But listen, there's things that I cannot do on my own. I need God's help. And you need God's help. Here's the last one. The fifth thing. Change happens when we begin to say, 
what God says about us. Things happen when we begin to say what God says about us. I've been fortunate over the last several years to teach leadership in different places. Matter of fact, I'll be in Arkansas tomorrow night doing the same thing. And uh, both in the church and outside the church, I've been fortunate to teach leadership at Cameron University, University of Oklahoma. I have to do a little bit different in those, uh, you know, uh, venues. But every great leadership principle comes out of the Word of God. Look at me. Every great leadership principle comes out of the Word of God. And this is what I'm seeing in the business and the secular culture. They're picking up on this idea that what we say is very important. They're picking this up. Matter of fact, they're teaching it now. You need to self-realize. You need to speak. You need to verbalize your goals, your objectives. Listen, that's not something new. That's been in the Word of God for thousands of years. The secular world is just now picking it up. You know why? Because biblical principles work. So you and I need to, we need to say about ourselves what God says about us. You need to verbalize about you what God says about you. Now, it's not what other people say about you that's going to derail you. It's what you say about you. What you say about you is going to be a, a, a good thing or a bad thing. So don't pull yourself down. Your confession does not have to be their confession, and their confession does not have to be your confession. So we have to say what God says about us. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, that's what God said about you. He said, oh no, pastor, that, that's in Jeremiah. Honey, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's talking about every one of us here today. God is for you, not against you. He has plans for you, to prosper you, for you to be a success, for you to have a future. That's what God said about you. Matter of fact, let me give you some, just a kind of a, a panoramic view of what God says about you. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. You're the redeemed of the Lord. You're a child of God. You're the righteousness of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're the apple of his eye. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. You're the planning of the Lord. You're complete in him. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's a good confession. Now, if I turn this around, we're going to go back one slide here, and we change the U's to I and the, the R to am. Could you confess this with me? Can we all participate? Notice the change, the I's and the, the M. Here we go. Say it with me. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world, a city set on a hill. I am the redeemed of God. I am a child of God. I am the righteousness of God. I am a joint heir with Christ. I am the apple of his eye. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am the planning of the Lord. I am complete in him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a good confession, amen? Amen. And that's a great confession. And so we have to say what God says about us. Listen, complaining never fixed anything. Average people just complain. Extraordinary people try to find a solution. Negative words never help you. They always hurt you. Positive words, the confession will help you. 
I read this story recently, a little boy named Stevie. He was in the sixth grade. But his goal was to be on television. So at the sixth grade, his teacher had a class assignment, and the assignment went down like this. What do you want to be when you grow up? So all the students in the class wrote their paper. Little Stevie, his paper was, when I grow up, I want to be on television. Now here's the problem. Little Stevie has a very pronounced stutter, and he's not a good uh, speaker. So when she collected the assignments, the teacher thought his dream was rather absurd, and uh, she thought that um, this little boy who couldn't really talk like everyone else was kind of making a joke and playing out. So she called and uh, showed the assignment to Stevie's parents, and she called him to the front of the class that humiliated him. And so when he got home, he thought he was going to get in trouble by his mom and dad because the teacher said he was acting out and being a smart aleck at school. But when he arrived home, his mother and dad kind of got in a little discussion about Stevie, what, you know, we're going to do with him. But at the end of it, his dad said, Stevie, don't worry about it. Go to your room. And later that evening, his dad went to the room and said, Stevie, let me tell you what to do with your paper. Put it in the top drawer of your dresser. Tonight, read it. And in the morning, read it. And every day of your life, he said, read it in the morning, read it in the evening. And that's what Stevie did. He became Steve Harvey. Do you realize Steve Harvey's on the television all the time? I don't care if it's Family Feud or some other show. Every time you turn the TV on somewhere, Steve Harvey in a day is going to be on television. Can I hear an amen? But this is not the end of the story. The end of the story is this. When Steve Harvey got on television and became successful, every year at Christmas, he sent that teacher a brand new television. true. It's a true story. So for years at Christmas, every year he would send her a brand new television. This is what he said. I want her to be able to see me on television. You see, what people say about you does not define who you are. Your confession of who you are is who you are. You can't do this alone. It's going to take God to help you. I can't do this alone. I have to have the help of God. Let me just give you, let me give you a great principle here to leave with today. When God called Abram from Mesopotamia and he said, I want you to come to this place that I'm calling you to. And, and Abram obeyed God. He had faith that God meant what he said. And so here he is, he, he packs up his family and, and he leaves for the land of Canaan. And in Genesis it says, when he gets there, the Lord speaks to him and he says, Abram, listen. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. So it's more than just blessing you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. So if I take that same truth, and God would say this to everyone here, I'm going to change you to be the change. L listen, Abraham, I'm not just blessing you to bless you. I'm blessing you to be the blessing. Listen, church, I'm not... I'm not changing you just to change you. I mean, that's good, but I'm changing you to be the change. You see, you see the principle? It's two different things. Sometimes we just say, God bless me, bless me, bless me. Just throw it on me, throw it on me. And, and God's willing to do that, but he says, listen, I'm blessing you to be a blessing. 
And then we're saying, God, change me. I need change in my marriage. I need change in, in, in dealing with my kids. I need change in my job. I need change, you know, because I have habits and hang-ups and I got horrible things in my life. I need change. And God's saying, listen, listen, my, my grace and my power, my transformation power is, is powerful to change you. But listen, I just don't want to change you. And that's a good thing, but I want to change you to be the change. You can be part of the change. And every person here, everybody here, you're starting a new adventure. You're starting a new decade, if you will. And there's some things in your life, like me, you probably need to start doing and some things you need to stop doing. But here's the thing. You can't do that on your own. And if you think you're relegated to always be who you are right now, throw that out of your mind. Never stop improving. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.